0: Drive time, keeping you informed and inspired.
1: We love God, we ought to be able to talk about Him, getting you started on your day
0: with the latest
2: in breaking news and information from the Vatican to the White House and everything in between. It's
3: serious, it's fun, it's your Catholic drive time. Now, here's your host, Joe McClain.
4: Praise
5: be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. I'm your host, Joe McClain. So good to be on with you on this Friday, November the 4th, 2022. ...on the memorial of St. Charles Borromeo. Praise be to God. Hey, here's a question. You know, in, what is it, about a month from now? We have the feast days of St. Juan Diego and Our Lady of Guadalupe. And I think there's a, a lesson here about how Our Lady of Guadalupe and St. Juan Diego are needed now more than ever. And to have that conversation, we've invited Tim Watkins of Renegade Communications... ...who produced the movie The Blood and the Rose. Oh, well, that was almost a decade ago. It was a while back, and he's going to be on at 35 past the hour. We're going to talk about the blood in the rose and the life of Saint Juan Diego and why we should be paying attention today. Also, there's a story out coming out of our, uh, our affiliate station in um, Boston, Massachusetts. Apparently, they're trying to set aside $1 million of taxpayer dollars, taxpayer money, to initiate a propaganda campaign against pregnancy clinics in favor of the abortion industry, and we've invited Katie Glenn from the Susan B. Anthony list on to discuss that with us at 15 past the hour. Stick around for that. Dave Palmer is going to be our guest at the top of the next hour. He is the host of Back to the Father. We're going to talk about purgatory and St. Thomas Aquinas. Lots in the news, of course. Today is the day that Twitter begins to lay off their employees. They have like 7,500 employees at Twitter, like Do they need that many to run a social site? I guess. I don't know. I wonder how many of those are fact checkers. But the deal is they're going to get emails in their inbox by 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time whether or not they're going to be able to keep their job. And the subject line will say your role at Twitter. This is like that's that's cutthroat, man. That's cutthroat. (laughs) Like, wow. Everybody's waking up today on pins and needles, biting their nails some people are waiting for Powerball numbers. Mm-hmm. Like, is, it, mm-hmm. is it me? Did I get it? Yeah. Did I Did I get the winning numbers? And some yeah. are
6: waiting for an email
5: mm-hmm. to see if they're going to continue to be employed. That's rough. Well, they're all getting emails, and they have to open the email to know whether or not they're getting fired or not. <laughs> yep, That's rough. That's mm-hmm. some rough stuff. Mm-hmm. I like it. I'm going to steal that someday. <laughs> hey, speaking of California, starting in January, California will now have the right to strip parents in any state. Of the custody of their children, because uh, if their kids are going to see chemical, surgical mutilation, uh, then California can cross borders to confiscate children from parents. How
6: does that work, though? Starting
5: in January. How does that work? Well, you start with communism, and then you go from there. Pretty straightforward. Uh, Uh, I I have a feeling other states wouldn't go with that. Here is some good news, though. I hope Texas doesn't uh, participate. But here is some good news. Uh, A bishop from Nigeria at a conference in Indonesia, the largest Muslim country on the planet, stood up in front of everybody and uh, really lambasted the evils of Islamist, Islamic extremism there because you know, Muslims have been you know, torturing and killing Christians in Nigeria now for many years, and he had great courage to, uh, to say this in front Amen. of everybody. So praise be to God for Bishop. God love you, Bishop.
6: Anyway, good morning to you, Rudy Carlos. Good morning, Joe. We made it to Friday. Ah, oh, it's Friday. It's early, man. You're go. like, we can't count the
5: chickens until, you know. It's in the bag. It's in the bag. It's Friday. Is that right? No matter what you say. No matter what I say. It's Friday. Okay. Okay. Well, let me put one thing on the table then for oh, your consideration. Oh,
6: okay. Okay.
5: Sure. Good morning to you, Adrian Fonseca on the ones and twos. Howdy, howdy. Praise be to God. It's good to be here. Are you still happy, Rudy?
3: Yeah. Okay. 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 Well yeah, you know, I I'm shocked right now. I was ready to, to uh say some good news, but uh you guys are not being uh Debbie Downers. It's Friday. I'm kind of baby, like, I'm let's like, go like what's going on? I did somebody is there like a world's ending or something? I'm I'm kind of disturbed. Are with, you? with all this uh, positivity? Joe Joe just took a vacation. Okay. What do you expect? Like Joe took a vacation. Okay, man. Rudy's happy. <laughs> yeah. What's going on here?
5: I'll throw one more out there. There's a bishop in Spain who prayed in front of abortion clinic,
3: even though they Absolutely have made that based. a punishable
5: offense. What? What?
3: Yep. what what's the so bad about this, man? What, wait, I'm Joe. I'm trying to be upset. What is there to be upset about this? Nothing. It's a good news. Praise
5: be to God. Praise
3: be to God. I'm shocked.
5: All right. be upset?
6: They threw him in jail.
5: It's also Friday. It's first Friday, which means tomorrow's also first Saturday. So you got some options here to go to Holy Mass and uh, make reparation for sins, go to confession, and all of that. But let's pray. Let's begin. We have a lot to get to today. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. Now your headlines with Rudy Carlos.
6: Good morning. Thanks for tuning in to Catholic Drive Time. Today is Friday, November 4th, and here are your headlines this morning. The Epic Times reports alleged Paul Pelosi attacker is an illegal immigrant, officials confirm. The man who allegedly attacked Paul Pelosi is an illegal immigrant from Canada, U.S. officials have confirmed. According to the charging documents and the motion to detain, the papy broke into the Pelosi residence early October 28th and found Paul Pelosi in a bedroom. DePape told officers he was, quote, sick of the insane expletive level of lies coming out of Washington, D.C., unquote, and that he came there to have a little chat with Nancy Pelosi, according to court documents. DePape said he intended to take Nancy Pelosi hostage and ask her questions. If she didn't tell the truth, he said he would have broken her kneecaps. The Daily Signal uh, reports share of first time buyers uh, plummets as young Americans are pushed out of the housing market. I happen to be here in this uh, particular study here. Just 26% of all home buyers were first-time purchasers in the 12 months ending in June, 2022. That's down 34% in the 12 months that ended June, 2021, the National Association of Realtors say. The typical age for for, for first-time buyers was 36 years, a jump of three years from the previous survey And the proportion of homes purchased in small towns and rural homes rose to record highs of 29 percent and 19 percent, respectively, as affordability concerns and remote work in uh, reduced demand for urban environments. Ground News reports U.S. beauty pageant can exclude transgender contestants court rules. Beauty pageant operator Miss United States of America, LLC, cannot be forced to allow so-called transgender women to compete. Because doing so would interfere with its ability to express, quote, the ideal vision of American womanhood, unquote, a U.S. appeals court ruled. And lastly, The Daily Wire reports BlackRock makes major change after backlash against woke investing. The firm, which handles roughly eight trillion dollars worth of assets. The firm, which holds uh, roughly eight trillion trillion dollars in assets, has been criticized for leveraging shareholder votes on behalf of clients to support the company's own interests, which are linked to environmental, social and governance movements, also known as ESG. The letter announced that BlackRock will promote a new era of shareholder democracy by expanding voter choice to more institutional clients. And those were your headline news this morning. God love you.
3: The saint of the day, y'all thought that I uh, left St. Martin de Porres out to dry, is St. Martin de Porres. He was born December 9th, 1579 at Lima, Peru. Martin was the illegitimate child of Juan de Porres, a Spanish knight in Hidalgo from Alicantara, and Ana Velazquez, a free Panamanian mulatto. Martin inherited his mother's features and dark skin, which upset his father, but John acknowledged his paternity of Martin and his sister while neglecting them. He was left to the care of his mother, and at the age of 12, he was apprenticed to the barber surgeon who taught him the healing arts. Martin's prayer life was rich even in his youth. He had a deep devotion to the passion of our Lord and continually prayed to know what he could do in gratitude for the immense blessings of redemption. Deciding upon the religious life at the age of 15, Martin received the habit of the Third Order of St. Dominic and was admitted to the Dominican Rosary Convent at Lima as a servant. He gave himself the lowliest duties of the house, and finally his superiors commanded him to accept the habit of a lay brother, something Martin felt was too great an honor for him, and he was professed. He served in several offices in the convent as barber, infirmary, and wardrobe keeper, as well as in the gardener and as a counselor. Soon Martin's reputation as a healer spread abroad. He nursed the sick of the city, including plague victims regardless of race, and helped to found an orphanage and founding hospitals with other charities attached to them. He distributed the convent's alms of food, which he is said to have increased miraculously to the poor. Martin especially ministered to the slaves that had been brought from Africa. He cured as much through prayer as through his knowledge of the medical arts. Among the countless many whose cures were attributed to Martin were a priest dying from a badly infected leg and a young student whose fingers were so damaged in an accident that his hopes for ordination to the priesthood were nearly quenched. Martin spent his nights in prayer and penance and he experienced visions and ecstasies In addition to these gifts, he was endowed with the gift of bilocation. He was seen in Mexico, Central America, and even Japan by people who knew him well. Whereas he had never physically been outside of Lima after entering the order. One time, Martin was on a picnic when the novices had lost track of time. Suddenly realizing that they would be late to their prayers, I know that feeling, Martin had them join hands. Before they knew what happened, they found themselves standing in the monastery yard, unable to explain how they traveled several miles in a few seconds. He passed through locked doors by some means known only to himself and God. In this way, he appeared at the bedside of the sick without being asked, and always sued the sick even when he did not completely heal them. Great as his healing faculty was, Martin is probably best remembered for the legend of the rats. It is said that the prior, a reasonable man, objected to the rodents and he ordered Martin to set out poison for them. Martin obeyed and he was very sorry for the rats, so he went out into the garden and called softly. The rats came and he had reprimanded them for their bad habits, telling them about the poison. He further assured them that he would feed them every day in the garden if they would refrain from annoying the prior. They agreed and they were never a problem again. Martin's closest friends included Saint Rose of Lima and Blessed John Messias, who was a lay brother of the Dominican prior, Priory at St. Mary Magdalene in Lima. Although he referred to himself as a malato dog, his community called him the father of charity. They came to respect him so much that they accepted his spiritual direction, even though he was a lay brother. Once he heard that his superior had decided to sell some of the furniture in the monastery because they needed money, St. Martin offered that they sell him into slavery instead. He died of quatrain fever at Rosary Convent in November 3rd. St. Martin de Porres, pray for us. Praise be to God in all things. The gospel
5: today comes to us from Luke chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. Jesus said to his disciples, A rich man had a steward who was reported to him for squandering his property. He summoned him and said, What is this I hear about you? Prepare a full account of your stewardship, because you can no longer be my steward. The steward said to himself, What shall I do now that my master is taking the position of steward away from me? I am not strong enough to dig, and I am ashamed to beg. I know what I shall do, so that when I am removed from the stewardship, that I may be welcomed into their homes. He called in his master's debtors one by one. The first he said, How much do you owe my master? He replied, One hundred measures of olive oil. He said to him, Here is your promissory note. Sit down quickly. Write one for fifty. Then to another he said, And you, how much do you owe? He replied, One hundred. One hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, Here is your promissory note. Write one for eighty. And the master commended that dishonest steward for acting prudently. For the children of this world are more prudent in dealing with their own generation than the children of light. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. And Ambrose said, For this we learn, then, that we are not ourselves the masters, but rather the stewards of the property of others. In other words, everything we own and have access to is not really ours. It belongs to the Lord, and we are simply stewards of it, and we should act accordingly. pseudo Chrysostom had a wonderful insight today. I think you're probably not going to hear too often, and that is to have a good work ethic as steward. To spend your life as a, good, uh, as a good steward of that which has been entrusted to you. Because your future depends upon it. I'd like to read it to you, but we're out of time. Augustine says, on the other hand, this parable is spoken that we should understand that if the steward who acted deceitfully could be praised by his Lord, how much more they please God who do their works according to his commandment. Close quote. St. Augustine. Pray for us. Don't go anywhere. I'm going to start this break. Katie Glenn from the Susan B. Anthony list will be our guest. We'll be right back.
1: Some atheistic scientists claim we don't need God to explain the universe because science is sufficient to get the job done. But is this true? The answer is no, and here's the reason. Science could never negate the need for God because it can't give an exhaustive explanation of the universe. First, it relies on the inductive method in order to validate its hypotheses. As such, scientists can never be certain they've discovered every piece of data necessary to give a complete explanation. They must always be open to discovering something new that could alter their current theory. Furthermore, science presupposes an existing universe to observe and explain. Thus, it could never explain why the universe exists in the first place rather than not. Science has explanatory power, but not enough power to negate the need for God. I'm Carlo Broussard with a ready reason for Catholic Answers. Catholic.com
4: I uh, started drinking beer on Saturday nights, uh, sleeping in on Sunday mornings, missing Mass, and it just became a pattern and continued. Without God, I don't know where I'd be right now. I feel like I'm totally in. I know the importance of the Eucharist. I know the importance of the sacraments that I didn't know at a young age. I follow God's will because my desire is to get to heaven. Our our lives are rich and full by being members of the church.
1: If you've been away from the Catholic Church, visit catholicscomehome.org.
7: Praise
5: be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. Keeping you informed and inspired, I'm your host, Joe McClain. So good to be on with you. Praise be to God. Coming up at 35 past the hour, Tim Watkins from Renegade Communications. He's the guy behind The Blood and the Rose, a documentary film on Our Lady of Guadalupe in San Juan Diego that came out, I don't know, several years ago. Uh, We'll talk to him about that project, but more importantly, why San Juan Diego has so much to teach us, especially us guys, uh, today. And we're going to have that conversation. Join us if you can. But uh, joining us right now via telephone is uh, Katie Glenn from the Susan B. Anthony List. There's some breaking story out of Massachusetts this morning. Good morning to you, Miss Glenn.
2: Hey, great to be here.
5: Praise be to God. We're grateful for your time today. I saw there was a sort of a tangentially related article this morning that I saw that reminded me of the story that you're going to talk about. And this came out of the Washington stand. 22% more attacks on pro-life centers than on abortion facilities. And yet the DOJ, although they said to the USCCB just recently that they're willing to process face act violations against the uh, pro-life clinics to this day, have made zero arrests in that regard. And then I saw uh, your uh, the article that came out of the Susan B. Anthony list, SBAProlife.org, that said Democrats in Massachusetts are earmarking $1 million of taxpayer money to run a propaganda campaign against pro-life pregnancy clinics. Tell us what's the story.
2: Yeah, that's absolutely right. Um, There's a new budget coming out of Boston, and it has $1 million of your taxpayer money that's earmarked towards saying that pregnancy centers are dangerous, that um, they aren't telling the truth, when the reality is pregnancy centers um, have been treated as a threat to some uh, Massachusetts Politicians who are pro-abortion because they offer an alternative. Pregnancy centers don't do abortions. And if you look at the website that Attorney General Healy put up, for example, it offers abortion as the only solution. So if you're looking for anything else, if you're looking for material support, if you're looking for housing support, the AG's got nothing for you. If you're looking for abortion, she can tell you where to go. Uh,
5: This is insane to me. Um, part of your article over at the SBA ProLife.org website says, in 2019, 2,700 pregnancy centers nationwide served almost 2 million people at an estimated value of nearly 270 million. Services include almost 732,000 pregnancy tests, more than 486,000 free ultrasounds, 60,200 STI-STD tests, and more. Over 10,000 licensed medical workers provided care and staff and volunteers. Boy, it's a pretty lopsided system when they can take taxpayer dollars and just manipulate public opinion against all these clinics.
2: That's right. And when you look at, uh, you know, the numbers in Massachusetts, the ratio of pregnancy centers and community-based health clinics that are providing authentic health care for women and their families is 25 to 1. There are many, many more great options, life-affirming options out there in your state, um, but, you know, some of these politicians are so hyper-focused on that one thing, which is abortion, and so for them, anyone who's providing an alternative, anyone who says, I'm here to support you, whether it's with an adoption plan, whether it's with a parenting plan, um, they do see that as a threat because when women are provided alternatives, they take them.
5: Now I was just I just got back from New Hampshire, and while I was in New Hampshire for two weeks, I also visited Massachusetts having I lived there for ten years back in the late nineties early 2000s, and I want several things that come to mind when I think about New England. The faith is declining there in a drastic way uh there is a certain coldness when you come from the South and you go to New England there's a certain coldness in in the in the community that becomes very apparent to you no Having that in mind, Katie, I'd like to get your thoughts here. Massachusetts, where are they on the scale? They've always been pretty Democrat, pretty liberal. But where are they in when it comes to now a post-ob world that you're seeing more and more uh, states turn against abortion? Where is Massachusetts on that scale? Well, it
2: seems that Massachusetts is going to be charging ahead in the near term um, towards you know, pushing abortion as the only option. Right now, they allow abortion for any reason, up to 24 weeks of gestation. So that's after a child can survive outside the womb, after that child can feel pain, suck their thumb. We know if they're a righty or a lefty by that point, um, you know, this is a fully developed baby and, and they can be aborted. And in the past few years, we've seen this real push out of the legislature to get rid of some of the safeguards they had in place. They've gotten rid of some of their parental consent laws, So that a teenager could be taken to an abortion clinic without her parents knowing Um, they've gotten rid of some of their health and safety laws they used to have rules saying if you were doing that third trimester that very late abortion um, it had to be done in a hospital setting where there was life-saving care available for the child if they're born alive which is a possibility at that age Um, but also for mom that if she suffers a complication which goes the rate of that goes way way up as you get later in pregnancy that she's in a place where she can get life-saving care they've removed some of those protections because they're trying to make abortion um, on demand all the time and and paid for by taxpayer money as much as possible.
5: Now, when uh, Senator Elizabeth Warren made that statement, remember that where she was uh, lambasting Mm -hmm. pregnancy clinics after the Dobbs decision, Uh, two clinics were attacked as a result to her public statements. Um, So it's a very, again, I think it's just a very lopsided situation here. No arrests, no arrests have been made There has been no prosecution of the FACE Act violation uh, for pregnancy clinics, and we're going to see this continue on. So let's talk about the governor there. Can you tell us about this governor in Massachusetts? Uh, Who is this person? What is their stand on abortion? What's the likelihood that they would veto this $1 million um, kickback for Planned Parenthood, essentially?
2: Well, Governor Baker uh, describes himself as a pro-choice Republican, Um, You know, we think that this is bad policy because it clearly puts a thumb on the scale and says that the government opposes alternatives, it opposes support programming, which is not paid for by the government. Overwhelmingly, pregnancy centers are supported by private donations, by private volunteers, unlike Planned Parenthood and abortion businesses, which get hundreds of millions of dollars from the government. Um, Some states earmark money for alternatives to abortion funding. Many don't. So this is overwhelmingly privately given money and services and time. So we think, you know, he, he should see this as bad policy because it's pushing women um, towards abortion as the only option. But he should also see it as, as a waste of taxpayer money and really not what um, Massachusetts voters send him there to do.
5: You said uh, and the article over at pro sbaprolife.org, that's sbaprolife.org, you can read about this, uh, this bill coming out of Massachusetts. And it says, uh, the last paragraph says, an analysis by Charlotte Lozier Institute finds 14 community-based health clinics and pregnancy centers for every Planned Parenthood facility in the United States. In Massachusetts, that ratio is 25 to 1. That's, that's pretty significantly higher than the national average. What do we make of that?
2: I think there are a lot of people in Massachusetts who do want to help their neighbors, who do want to provide care, and in their state, they've got a lot of federally qualified health centers. So if you compare that type of a health center to a Planned Parenthood, to an abortion business where they are selling one product, Planned Parenthood's most recent annual report said that 96% of their pregnancy-related services ended in abortion. So that is the only option. Um, At a a health center, um, they've got... Uh, care not just for mom but also for her kids there's often a dentist affiliated with that it's really uh, wraparound services and so that's where we need to be sending women anyway because that's where they're going to be getting actual health care
5: do you see if this goes through and they get the million dollars and they're able to run this propaganda campaign in favor of abortion in the state of massachusetts It seems to me that there's also a lopsided view in in the media coverage of things. The Paul Pelosi uh, case is being covered widely, and rightly so, I would argue. But there are many cases that are not being covered widely. Uh, For instance, there was this 83-year-old woman. uh, She was a pro-life volunteer in Michigan, and she was shot. Uh, That didn't get nearly as much coverage. There were lots of vandalisms, firebombings, and so much more that didn't get a tremendous amount of coverage. There were Republican candidates that were attacked that didn't get a lot of coverage. Do you see this as a a way to fan the flame of sort of picking and choosing winners and losers in the the media campaign?
2: Absolutely. When the government says this nonprofit organization is dangerous, they are liars, that puts them at risk, especially when this heightens... Um, You know, it seems like things have quieted down a little bit, but this summer, it seemed like every single day we were hearing another story of vandalism, of firebombing, of attacks on individuals and on these centers. You know, if, if a bomb goes through the window of a pregnancy center, as did happen in Wisconsin, they can't open the next day. They can't provide services to the women who are expecting to go there, to the men who are expecting to go there. And, you know, I guess for Senator Warren, that's a good thing because she thinks they should all be shut down. But, you know, I think that, you know, the vast majority of Americans are with us. They are in support of pregnancy centers. The data bears that out. And, uh, you know, we need to do everything we can to support authentic choices and authentic support for women and say, if you want a parent, if you want an adoption plan, we're here for you, and, and we can meet you where you're at. I just read a great story of a pregnancy center that helped a mom who was pregnant with twins um, get a new vehicle. They were running a fundraiser because she needed a bigger car so that she could safely drive all of her children. And, um, you know, a local dealership owner saw this um, posting, the fundraiser. It really touched his heart, and he said, let me buy that car for you. So there are strangers who want to help moms and families. And that is the most threatening thing in the world to somebody like Senator Warren, who sees abortion as the only option for any pregnancy that uh, comes into being in less than perfect circumstances, which by the way is almost every pregnancy. Yeah. What are those perfect circumstances really?
5: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we're talking with uh, Katie Glenn from the uh, Susan B. Anthony list, and you can find their website at SBA dot We have just about a minute or so left in our conversation with Katie now, on the scale, okay, I asked you about the scale of Massachusetts, where where they're at, but in comparison to the rest of the country, how do you rate Massachusetts from a pro life position?
2: Well, they've got really bad laws. Um, they're towards the bottom as far as their laws. They are very pro abortion. They have very few safeguards for women and families. Um, but it sounds like you know when we look at that twenty five to one ratio, there are a lot of great people who want to help their neighbors. And so that is something to celebrate, even as, you know, the government is is kind of letting us down.
5: Do you see any swing in that state in in this election or any uh, of the near-term future elections in that state?
2: Well, I haven't run the numbers, but I know I was in Boston a couple years ago testifying against that bill that removes the the life-saving care from the room where the abortion is happening. And hundreds of people from all over the state came out to let lawmakers know, we are pro-life, we don't support what you're doing, and they even had to have an overflow room for the overflow room because so many people showed up at the hearing. Wow. And it was really wonderful to see, even in a place where, you know, it can feel like these lawmakers are not going to listen to me, that so many took a day off of work, took a day off, um, you know, from their usual responsibilities and showed up. To, to say, I'm pro-life, and, and I'm going to let you know. Even if you pass this law, you know that there are many of us who don't support it.
5: All right. Praise be to God. Katie Glenn, we're appreciative of your time. Susan B. Anthony, go to sbaprolife.org. You can read the article about this bill in Massachusetts and pray that the governor vetoes it for sure. Katie, God bless you. Thank you for your time today. Thank you. All right, don't go anywhere right after the break. Rudy Carlos has more breaking news and stories. Then we're going to talk about St. Juan Diego.
8: This is Dale Alquist with a Chesterton Minute. How many times have you heard someone talk about how important it is to be progressive? Have you ever asked them what they mean by that? G.K. Chesterton says, Progress is a useless word, for progress takes for granted an already defined direction, and it's exactly about the direction that we disagree. We can't have progress until we've stated what our goal is, and then we can determine whether or not we're moving closer to it or farther from it. The real question is not whether we are progressive, but what is our goal? My goal is to get to heaven and to help others get there too. What's yours? Want Chesterton for more than a minute? Visit our website at Chesterton.com.
9: Uh, first off, I'd just like to say um, I did uh, five years in prison in Texas, and thanks to the Guadalupe Radio Network down there and your ministry, there is a lot of us getting back on track. And especially a big thank you to all your donors who donate to the network, and uh, it really helps a lot of us felons find the way and find that uh, the Catholic truth and get back on track. So really thank you for that.
0: The Guadalupe Radio Network, radio for your soul.
6: Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. And now more headlines. Breitbart reports, government to launch crackdown on secret Chinese police stations in Britain. Speaking in Parliament on Tuesday, the UK's security minister said that he was aware of an investigation into three Chinese police offices allegedly operating out of Croydon, Hendon, and Glasgow and said that evidence of any illegal activity will be taken seriously. CNA reports shortage of wheat flour means no more communion hosts in Cuba. The St. Teresa de Scales Carmelite Monastery in Havana announced the news yesterday. They said, quote, we inform all of the dioceses that there are no longer any hosts for sale. We've been running, uh, running and working with the little flour that, has, well, that was left And what was in reserve has already run out, they said. We hope and trust in the Lord that we can resume work soon, and once we have enough to distribute to all the dioceses, we will notify you, they added. The Catholic Church stipulates in the document Redemptionis Sacramentum that the host can only be made of wheat. And Valley Central reports, Joe, you're going to like this one, drivers 16% more likely to hit deer next week. A time change, maybe why? (laughs) A team of researchers from the University of Washington in Seattle, led by by, uh, a different group here, published their findings in Current Biology, detailing how deer vehicle collisions spike in October and early November. According to the researchers, deer strikes spike in late October and early November in all states studied except for Alaska. Almost 10% of these collisions occurred during the two-week period, centered on autumn time change. Which is two point five times greater than expected if collisions were universally distributed, they stated, so uh if you do hit a deer, make sure to get the tags and uh well, you can circumvent all of that inflationary pricing that uh you're seeing in the supermarket. Those were your headline news this morning. God love you,
5: yeah, praise be to God for some reason, I only seem to hit you know twelve point bucks i don't know why i i don't I, yeah. <sighs> for me personally it's just skunks I't can get that. Now, if you do hit a, a deer, uh, I, which I hope you don't, but if you do, call Fish and Game. Call your local game warden right away, because they'll give you a special tag. You can actually recover what's left of the good meat, and you can at least feed that to your family.
6: Make sure to put the snow or, the snow plow attachment on your car.
5: <laughs> or, or you can donate the meat, what's good meat anyway. It won't all be good, but what's left that's good, you can donate that to your local uh, soup kitchen. Oh, good. And uh, and other places will take those donations. And, a lot of, like, you can donate an entire deer carcass to, like, the local soup kitchen down here, and they'll chop it up themselves. It'll be nice and tender. Oh, um, It's good stuff. Oof, <laughs> love it. I love the deer meat. Praise be to God. All right. Thank you, Rudy, for giving us up today. Praise be to God. Hey, uh, joining us right now from Renegade Communications is Tim Watkins. He is the executive producer of a film that came out uh, six or seven years ago called The Blood and the Rose, a documentary film on Our Lady of Guadalupe and St. Juan Diego. Good morning to you, Mr. Watkins.
0: Good morning. How are you doing? Praise Praise be to God. God.
5: I am alive, alive and that counts. counts. We're hearing a little little feedback feedback. on your end. I'm not sure if uh, there's something we can do about that, maybe uh, mute or something like that. But I don't know if you remember, Mr. Watkins, Tim. I had the chance of calling you probably, I guess it was early 2018, uh, a friend of mine, a mutual friend of ours, gave me your number, and I called you because I was picking your brain about how to produce a documentary film because I was producing my own documentary film, and you were very generous to give me your, your time and, uh, and your insider baseball information and what that's like. But uh, God bless you again. Thanks for being on. Let's start with The Blood and the Rose. Uh, tell me about your film and uh, the impact that it's had this uh, better part of the past decade. We're gonna
10: need,
0: We're gonna you, need you to be unmute, unmute now. now. The famous mute unmute. Um the uh the film was quite a journey uh in its making. I, I have to admit when I was asked to make it, I was uh a few years into what I was I would say is my Catholic awakening and uh journey. Um and somebody asked me to make a film, Catholic film, I I jumped on it because uh you know it just seemed like a thing to do I would uh, made a film on uh, Ronald Reagan called In the Face of Evil and it had some interesting fans one of those was uh, a guy named Steve McAveety who uh, was Mel Gibson's producer and mm. uh, somebody asked him if he could get a film made on Our Lady of Guadalupe and he called me and asked me and I said of course and it's kind of funny because that was on a Monday and he said, uh, great. Meet me in Mexico City on Wednesday. <laughs> and so he said, get this book called The Conquest of Darkness uh, by Warren Carroll, which is a fantastic book. I recommend any of your listeners who want to uh, go even deeper than what the film did, uh, on uh, the whole story behind Our Lady of Guadalupe. Um, we got, got the book, read it on the flight down, um, listened to somebody talk for a couple of days and, um, pitched our idea and they said, let's do it. And, uh, with that, we started on the, on the journey of making the film. So I knew, uh, this much, very little about the film, making the film. And, uh, I'll tell you, it was, uh, um, uh, eye opening all along the way. And one of the most incredible parts of it was that, uh, Guadalupe is actually not in Mexico. <laughs> the image of Our Lady of Guadalupe is in Mexico. And, uh, was in the occurrence of the apparition happened on Tepeyac Hill in Mexico outside of Mexico City. Um, Guadalupe is actually a city in in Spain and it's tied to the whole miracle. In fact, uh, post making the film and the continuation of the work that we have done about Our Lady of Guadalupe and the apparition takes us all the way back to the Abrahamic divide in Genesis. So, a story two thousand years in the making, um and and just a phenomenal. You know lessons that come from it, um, and one of the things that um, you know current day, and again, you know we're nowhere, you know we're not close yet to, you know we're a little more than a month away from uh, the uh, uh, feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe, also the feast of Saint Juan Diego, but um, the importance uh, that Juan Diego shining a light on on, on Saint Juan Diego now about this film was uh the simplicity. I mean, Juan Diego is one of the few lay saints that we know of. Um, and most saints have a heroic nature about them. Juan Diego is very interesting because all he did was go to mass three to four times a week, confession frequently, talk about Jesus and Mary, mm. and millions were converted. Um, now, this is something very simple for us you know especially a simple guy like me to do and to emulate and and uh is to be this great example of a sacramentalist in the eyes of other people and then talk about it to other people uh in order to try and bring people you know back to the church or more full or more into the church um because you know, we are suffering from a crisis, especially a crisis of men right now, a crisis mm-hmm. of faith and a crisis of men. And uh some of the other work that Renegade does. So there's two. There's a company in a, in a division. There's Renegade, which is our parent company. That's a, a secular advertising communications production company. Uh And then there's Messenger Eagle, which is our Catholic division. And, uh, a lot of the work we're doing with our Catholic division right now is about men and about, uh, re-engaging men or getting men engaged into the Catholic faith. Um, and, uh, you know, we have one, uh, tagline, uh, that we're doing a lot of work on college campuses that we call, that we say, you're going to college for a good career, but are you going to be a good man? Mm-hmm. Uh, find out how to be a better man. And so, you know, one of the things we do so often, you know, or, or mistakes most, a lot of brands make as a matter of fact is they make something and they think people will come. We call those field of dreams things, you know, <laughs> build it and they will come. Um, the reality of it is, is that, that, um, today with, you know, these, uh, a lot of times I'll call this a satanic device, but these, these devices are data carriers. They, they measure and, and track our behaviors. Um, and, uh, it leads me to a line I use a lot, which is, the devil's favorite tool is sublime marketing. There's bad news and good news. The bad news, he's fooled a lot of souls. The good news is that we can do sublime marketing too. Um, in fact, we need to engage in it and make things more sophisticated to find people where they are, how they're, you know, how they're reacting. And then once we define those behaviors and we call those audience, we call that audience segmentation, you create content to find them. So, you know, through this whole effort of, of, you know, growing through St. Juan Diego, uh, has led me in my company to this work of trying to do more to get men back in the church, which is vitally important. So, you know, we're working on many different levels with, uh, vocation, uh, to the, uh, religious life, uh, priesthood. And also, you know, again, what we, we love to point out is, is that, you know, oftentimes when somebody says the word vocation, people instantly think of priest. Well, we all have vocations. God given vocations. And discerning those God given vocations is is one of the most important things we have to do. And and to do that in conversation with God, you have to have a relationship with God. So we need to bring you back into the relationship with God. That was a long answer to just one simple question, wasn't <laughs> that? Okay. That's okay.
5: One of the things I was thinking about when about uh, Juan Diego, and I love Warren Carroll's book. In fact, every December the twelfth I try to read a description of the mass executions and the sacrifices uh, there by the Aztecs uh, from that book because it's so descriptive, and it comes really straight from uh, uh, from the, the Chronicles, the journals of, uh, of uh, Hernán Cortés and his expedition there. But nonetheless, I think it's very important. One of the things I like about Warren Carroll's book that he points out about Juan Diego is Juan Diego would have been a witness. Uh, he could have seen that for, with his own eyes this uh, i think it was what 80,000 victims that were slaughtered in one fell swoop i mean they lined up and there and these long lines that went out of the city and they had to one by one climb the stairs and one by one be bent over backwards and one by one had their hearts ripped out while beating and then offered for sacrifice and cannibalized and all the rest it's a pretty horrific scene and to think about our lady who wanted to save these children from The devil himself. It's a powerful, powerful story. One that should be remembered. And we'll be right back. Tim Watkins, Renegade, The Blood and the Rose. All is coming up next.
7: Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend: Is the Bible sufficient to answer all questions about Christian living and church life? Well, the answer is definitively no. There isn't agreement on scores of doctrinal issues, such as the effects of baptism, who can receive communion, once saved, always saved, abortion, or how about eligibility for marriage after divorce? So, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one: fruit analysis. Luther, Calvin, and Zwingli, who are the fathers of non-Catholic Christianity, did not rid the unbiblical practices they despised but instead turned out to be the progenitors of some 50 denominations and scores of divergent beliefs secondly natural reason well if the bible alone is supposed to clarify all beliefs the very fact that such division prevails is actually proof that an arbiter of doctrine is desperately needed and thirdly the golden twins sacred scripture and sacred tradition will always prevail as the foundation of all christian truth doctrines and beliefs remember identical twins come from one egg
5: be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. I'm your host, Joe McLean. So good to be on with you. Tim Watkins is our guest, Renegade Communications, producer of The Blood and the Rose, a film that's been out now, I don't know, seven, six, seven years or so. Uh, You can find this film at thebloodandtherose.com. That's thebloodandtherose.com. It's uh, available for rent or purchase on the Vimeo site as well, all linked up at com. Welcome back to the program, Mr. Watkins. Um, um, St. Juan Diego, I, I, th- I think I don't think he can be emphasized enough, in my opinion. He was simple, yes, this is true, but one of the things that, that I wanted to point out before we went to the break was just, this is a guy who lived in a deeply, it's, we can't wrap our heads around how incredibly dark and pagan the culture of the Aztecs were. Uh, they were routinely going to war with their neighbors so that they could have victims to offer sacrifice and cannibalism and the rest. And this is a guy who grew up in this environment. Obviously, any conversion uh, away from it, the pressure, societal pressure must have been really high, and yet he had courage in the midst of great evil. And I think it's a lesson for men today. I think too many men... uh, as my documentary film tried to prove when you grow up addicted to porn, you are emasculated. You lack courage for the most part. You lack a spine, you lack a backbone to do what's right and uh, stand up for, for the good, the true and the beautiful. San Juan Diego is able to do that in spite of it all, obviously with supernatural grace. What say you, Mr. Tim Watkins?
0: Uh, absolutely. Well, you know, again, uh, first off he had his conversion when he was 25 with he and his wife had his conversion. Um, and, uh, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, 1525. Um, and, uh, so they, they lived their, their lives in the Catholic faith for about six years before the apparition of Our Lady of Guadalupe occurred. So, um, yes, he, he witnessed horrific events. And, um, again, I, I <laughs> yeah, you know, they were horrific events and standard of, of those times and they're, you know, we witnessed quite a few horrific events today in our own time, in our own version of that, in in many different ways, with the the way humans are treated through human trafficking and abortion and and so on. But um, you know, Juan Diego would have been part of it, and and again, innately. Um, you know, we are born and created in the image and likeness of our creator. And so there had to be something to start with, um, that appealed to Juan Diego when the Franciscans showed up and they started, uh, uh, being missionaries in the area and talking about Jesus Christ. And, um, you know, this, uh, you know, one of the things we talk about a lot when we're doing the work with, with trying to bring men back into the faith is, that um they're looking for joy but they're only finding nanoseconds of joy and as soon as that moment that moment of joy through whatever it is they've done uh is over they they fall into a little bit of despair and so you know Juan Diego would have had to have you know you know, the crowds would have been screaming and shouting because they would have had crops next year. And, uh, they were excited because they were killing all these people in order to, to what they, they believed they were doing was the right thing. But as soon as they realized that, you know, their cousin had just been slaughtered on a slab, um, you know, some great sadness might have occurred, despair. And so, um, this talk or this promise of eternal joy through Christ had to appeal naturally to any human being that is able to listen to it um you know sometimes people build up such a, a veneer over top of their ability to listen and and allow their heart to be exposed to jesus christ that they don't find it so you know juan diego would have had to have had that same thing inside fortunately he was not too glazed over that when he heard the words they appealed to him he convert he and his wife converted unfortunately his wife uh, shortly thereafter died um but uh this opened Juan Diego's heart eyes and and mind to being able to receive the words of Jesus Christ to hear the words from our lady and then to become uh an apostle a disciple of Christ on earth to spread the word. Um I, I always like to say you know we na- we named our company after St. Juan Diego his uh, Nahuatl name was Cuauhtluzin which translated meant messenger eagle. Uh so we call ourselves Messenger Eagle Communications in our Catholic division. And uh, the great marketing line of all of that is, is that he heard the word spread the word and millions were converted. Um, so that sounds like a great marketing message. So uh, he, he became a, a great marketer uh, mm-hmm. for being a merchant.
5: <laughs> was there any what was the most surprising thing in your journey of uh, producing this film? Uh, what was the one thing that really stood out to you most?
0: The surprising thing is, uh, how too few people, especially, uh, people up here in the United States recognize and understand, um, the actual entirety of the miracle of Our Lady of Guadalupe. Uh, too often they think of it as a, a Mexican thing. <laughs> um, it's, uh, you know, it happened down in Mexico, but the reality of Our Lady of Guadalupe and, and, uh, I don't know how many, how much time we have left on this, but I'll, I'll try and do this really quick, but you know, even post the film, we realize this, this, Great story that goes all the way back to Genesis and the Abrahamic divide. And, you know, I'll ask you this is kind of a, it's, it's one of those questions is what, what is our lady standing on? Do you, do you guys remember? I mean, she's right behind you. So, you know, do <laughs> the you know, bone she's bone. Right. It's a dark moon. So, you know, in all symbolism, uh, the, the Nahuatl, uh, the Aztecs were called Nahuatls too. their, the, uh, the dark moon meant evil. Okay. Mm. Now she has one four petal flower on her, which is over her womb, which, uh, symbolizes the one true God. So she was pregnant, the, where the sash was, uh, told us that she was pregnant. She was also a virgin, by the way, her hair was parted. Um, and so this four petal flower is in her. So she's carrying the one true God standing on top of evil. Okay. It, it almost became a slam dunk to the Aztecs that this was someone who was very important. Um the interesting thing is the type of moon that it is. It's mm. a crescent moon. Okay, and a crescent moon symbolizes who? Uh the Muslims. Oh yes. Now the Spaniards who were also there just got done fighting the Muslims for eight hundred years. So this was very profound to them as well. So if you go back into uh Genesis uh my numbers thirteen, fourteen, and fifteen, I believe, uh the Abrahamic divide where Abraham's told will have descendants as numerous as the stars. Um, and they get frustrated. They're not having kids thinking that that was going to be the answer. So sleep with my maid servant, uh, Hagar, and they have Ishmael. Well, five years later, the ripe old age of 90, um, they have, uh, Isaac and we all know the lineage of Isaac is to Jesus Christ. Well, who's is Ishmael the lineage to? um he's the lineage to the arab world and the muslims what does it say about ishmael in genesis i believe 14. it says he will be the ass of all evil his hand against all others all others against him he will be a ruler of a mighty nation wow that sounds like <laughs> a, a a dividing line well you know further than that, how many how many boys how many boys did uh ishmael have he had 12. Um, just like Israel had twelve, twelve tribes of Israel, twelve tribes of, of uh Ishmael, um good, evil, yang yang. I mean this battle was set up back in in the years of Genesis and, and fulfilled through the route, the entire route, which again the the film then takes you through uh what is believed the the statue of Luke, all the way back to Luke the gospel writer, uh through this magnificent story into Spain and then eventually into the apparition. Now you know, it also tells you the film will also tell you this, this, uh, a great deal about the science, which again, we would never have been able to discover if we didn't have the technology in the 20th century. So that means that image is living. It's still telling us stories, but the, this, the shame of it is, is why does it have to tell us more stories? Because what it does do is it, it tells us of, uh, a, a, a story that has been proven, uh, on an image to not have been made by any human hands, that this was God given image that Um, she, a virgin conceived of a great, of the great God and, uh, he was there to deliver us. Um, and, you know, among that story, uh, you know, the, the, the many different things on the Tilma, uh, you know, it's date, time, location stamped, uh, tells us who it is. It's, it's a magnificent story that God put here on us to, to remind us of, of that he came for us.
5: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Amen. there's so many miraculous aspects to the image itself. It's just it's mind blowing when you investigate it. But one of the things I want to get into in our uh, last several minutes here of our conversation with Tim Watkins, Renegade Communications, is uh, about Mexico itself. You know, she appears here. She converts uh, these Aztecs uh, in the millions uh, over a very short period of time, really. And it's through this miracle. Uh, it's it's truly amazing. But I have to believe that Our Lady Guadalupe is needed now more than ever. I mean, I think about the potential of a reconversion, a reconquista of Mexico for Our Lady and for Christ our Savior, and how that would have reverberating effects through North America, around the world even. Um How do you see that? I feel like Mexico is still in the midst of a great war, Satan trying to reconquer it. Uh But if Our Lady prevails there again big things, good things would happen for the rest of us. What say you, Mr. Tim Watkins?
0: Well, I think that, uh, again, we have to open our hearts and uh, we have to do the missionary activity and and talk to people. I think that as in Mexico, as in anywhere, um, she can be uh, an aid in helping conquer uh, people's hearts and minds uh, to deliver us to Christ. I think, you know, again, the you know, the, one of the more magnificent things that came from Our Lady of Guadalupe isn't just that she came and she appeared and she's still here today on that image, was that the Franciscans as priests could uh, bring the body and blood of Christ in every mass uh, through a sacrifice uh, that was already done and and that— um, could bring this to the Aztecs and the Aztecs saw that they didn't have to kill someone and sacrifice and eat their body, that someone had already sacrificed for them and for all that they needed. So you know, this was the message that led to the sacramentalism of the Mexican or the Mexica, the, the Aztec people in order to get them to convert was that that was the following connection that was made. <laughs> um, so, you know, this great a uh, reconquista if you will of the entire you know uh, american continent the north american continent um, should be viewed through the lens in my opinion of a sacramental effort um through confession uh understanding what baptism is baptism is the infusion of God, the Father, the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ within our souls, and it's then us that we have to let them out and shine from us. Uh, You know, I must decrease, so he must increase. That applies to us, too. Uh, And the uh, increase in us is God, the Holy Spirit, God, the Father, the Holy Spirit, and Jesus Christ from us by doing acts of serving and loving each other.
5: Amen. Amen. Well, we're just about out of time. Thebloodandtherose.com is the website that you can check it out. Again, you can rent it or you can purchase it there. Download it and watch it with your family if you've not done so. Uh, I recommend it. I've seen it with my family. It's very good. Thebloodandtherose.com. Tim Watkins, God bless you. Thank you for your time today.
0: Thank you very much. God bless you guys, too, for all the work you're doing. Thank you for uh, everything you guys are doing.
5: Amen. Praise be to God. Have a great day, Tim. That is going to do it for hour number one of Catholic Drive Time. We've enjoyed our conversation. It's good to be back in the studio after being off for two weeks. If you can join us in the next hour, we would love to have you. Dave Palmer, host of Back to the Father, is going to be our guest. We're going to talk about St. Thomas Aquinas and Purgatory. Plus, we're going to give out prizes in our game show, the after show, and so much more. Go to grnonline.com forward slash CDT to stream live or tune into the local Catholic radio. God bless you. God bless. We'll see you then. Is your
8: captain speaking? We're currently cruising at 39,000 feet. We'll turn that seatbelt sign off for you and let you move about the cabin. Looks like we're about two hours and ten minutes from landing. Plenty of time for you to pray for religious vocations. Wouldn't it be great if everyone prayed daily for vocations to the religious life?
7: Why not start today? A friendly suggestion from Guadalupe Radio Network. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question if you're a non-Catholic friend. Was the Catholic Church in existence as far back as the first three centuries? Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism? Number one, baseball. In September 1845, the New York Knickerbocker Baseball Club was formally established and called baseball. Rules were set, included a diamond-shaped infield, foul lines, and the three-strike rule. But seven years before that, in 1775, that game was already being played on schoolyards well before it was ever called baseball. Secondly, the Apostolic Father such as Tertullian, Clement, St. Ignatius, all wrote before 215 A.D. about the authority of the local bishop. And they used the name the Catholic Church, which already had the liturgy, the Eucharist, the readings, the relics, a hierarchy, and jurisdiction. And thirdly, my take. To fishermen, a dolphin was just a big fish until they were termed dolphins. But they were always dolphins. And baseball was baseball well before it was termed baseball. And you will love this. The early church was the Catholic Church well before Constantine the Great, the Nicene Creed, and your church history book.
5: Are you on the CDT Insider email list? Hi, Joe McLean here. And every week I send you cool stuff straight to your inbox. Goodies that you're not going to want to miss. Go to grnonline.com.
2: Hi, I'm Amy Shields from St. Dominic Village. And you're listening to AM 1430 KSHJ Houston. Part of the Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul. Praise be
5: to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. Keeping you informed and inspired. I'm your host, Joe McLean. It's so good to be on with you. Praise be to God. Woo! Man, do I feel good right now. I feel... uh, Now you're feeling it. I just looked, looked up. Now you're feeling that Friday. I just looked up Our Lady of Guadalupe and the Conquest of Darkness by Warren Carroll. Apparently it's not available on Amazon right now. So I'm feeling pretty good about my copy sitting on my bookshelf back at the house. couple thousand dollars. I, I might at be least. talked into it. I, you know, I don't know. The number may go up. Uh, we'll have to see. <laughs> but I'm feeling pretty good about uh, the fact that I own this book and uh, it's somehow not available anymore. I guess they're just not printing it anymore. But it is. It is actually Warren Carroll writes tomes. He writes like massive, thick books, generally speaking. It's like his or God rest his soul uh, when he was alive. He he wrote an entire series of books on the history of Christendom, which is my favorite of history books. By the way, Doctor Dominic Aquila is going to be on. I think on Tuesday, he has got a new history book that he is participating. It's a series of history books by Ave Maria Press. He's going to be on Tuesday. We're going to talk to him about that. But this book from Warren Carroll, "Our Lady of Guadalupe and the Conquest of Darkness," is a very short book. It's a very small, very thin book. It is fantastic. I guarantee you have not done enough research on what it was like to live in the Aztec Empire. This book is your book. It's, you, can, you can read it fairly quickly. It's got great uh, detail. It comes basically straight from, from uh, Bernal Diaz's journal, who was with Hernan Cortes uh, there
3: in Mexico. Or just watch Apocalypto. <laughs> or just watch Apocalypto. <laughs> and then you'll never think the Aztecs were, uh, Dude, were based in Redfield again. Tell me I'm wrong. But apoc- there needs to be an Apocalypto sequel where uh, Hernan Cortez, Cortez comes in yeah. and he starts wrecking house. You bet. Brings the, uh, the rest of the native Betcha. peoples together, raises oh. an army. Yes, yeah, of native peoples. He yeah, had an army. of nat-
5: Like They think it was all colonials. It was like, and what, 5% they uh, had Spanish? Like, they were, I mean, so the conquistadors were far superior warriors right, than the weapons. Aztecs. Right. Uh, Well, the Aztec technique was to not kill you on the battlefield; it was to To capture capture you. They could sacrifice exactly. So that gave an advantage to the conquistadors, who were excellent swordsmen and fighters, so they could defend themselves and they were so they could deal with the
3: uh, superior numbers. But the army was like only five percent Spanish, though. Right? Yeah,
5: it was tiny. It was like a couple of hundred Spanish guys and thousands. Of Native peoples who fought with Hernan Cortez because they too were sick of being sacrificed. They were sick of it. On the altars <laughs> like, of the Aspen. Stop sacrificing my daughter to Moloch. Yes. <laughs> I mean, like, hello. Uh, so, I mean, but the problem is the story of Hernan Cortez needs to be told in movie form at a level of a Mel Gibson. Mm. Like, it needs to have that quality and level and budget to be done properly. And uh, Mel. I, phew, what else are you doing with your life right now? Making yet another overly violent, not great film? Radio. Like, let's get uh, back to the basics here, Mel. It's, if you know Mel Gibson, yeah, let, let him know I need to talk to him. <laughs> let's, connect. let's connect. Would you interview him? Let's do lunch. I would. I would you? Oh, 100%. heck yeah. 100%. 100%. 100%. I would. Speaking of interviews, uh, another guy
3: who is, am I 100% on Dave Palmer? 75 maybe? I think I Dave know. Palmer is, like, the best person at the Guadalupe Radio Network. But don't tell Joe or Rudy that. Okay. Yeah, I'll keep that a secret. He's joining us now by Zoom chat. Dave Palmer, good morning to you. Thank you.
4: Well, thank you for those accolades, <laughs> Andy. <was> very very <laughs> nice. I appreciate that very much. And by the way, welcome back, Joe. Hey, thanks. Hey, thanks. Good to be back. Hey, so if you had a, you chance, had a chance to interview to... Mel Gibson, would you? Oh, yeah, of course.
5: 100%. 100%. 100%. Absolutely. Have, have, have you seen have you Apocalypto? You have not seen Apocalypto? Are you even I Catholic? Remember, we should check we should, I remember, we when it guesses. came out. it
4: uh, Seemed a little creepy. Um, I don't know, violent. I, I don't. It is I don't violent. know a whole lot about it. Most of what I know about it is what Adrian just said in the last minute and <laughs> a half. Same. I didn't watch it either. I just heard about it from <laughs> Joe. <laughs> it's
5: it's it's rough to get through, but I think it's a sobering, eye-opening experience, and it's still taught in a sort of a storytelling entertainment. Kind not of for way. children. Yeah. Not oh, for children. Not for yeah. children. i watch uh, watching with filters, My, my family and
4: I are watching Hallmark movies, okay, if you want to know kind of where we're at. Praise be to God.
5: <laughs> Let's talk about Back to the Father today, 1 p.m. Central across the uh, GRN social platforms. What's on the agenda today?
4: Well, uh, the two weeks that you were gone, Joe, we talked in light of the uh, approaching, you know, All Saints and All Souls Day and Halloween and all that, you know, craziness. We talked about ghosts or separated souls two weeks ago. And then last week we talked about the intercession of the saints, and so I thought we'd kind of keep that theme going. So today we're talking about purgatory, and there's a lot of intriguing things related to St. Thomas Aquinas' treatment on purgatory. And one of them is is that the seven articles on purgatory are not in the Summa And they're not in the even the supplement, they're in appendices Mm. at the end of the Summa. And so the order of how they fall is intriguing, and I don't know exactly why that's the case, but we're going to dig into that today.
5: Purgatory is one of those things that uh, most non-Catholics struggle with, obviously. Uh, Catholics, I always see it as, uh, what a grace, what an opportunity to be cleansed, to be prepared for the, the, the wedding feast of the Lamb. And uh, everybody who goes to purgatory makes it to the big show. So what's not to like?
4: Yeah. Well, what's not to like is that Thomas says it's the same fires of hell. I think <laughs> yikes. Uh, he does. He does in the Summa admit at one point he's like, you know, we really don't know what, what it is, but based on what the the fathers have said and you know, speculation of what exactly the purification would entail. He, he, he does say there, there's two different places. There's one called proximity to hell, which is the same fires as hell. And then there's a place called dispensation, which seems to be a place where it seems, and I'll have to reread this and we'll go over it today, where those who are being prayed for and who some of the, you know, they the, the time is being diminished that they're there. But he, he, he says like it's almost like two levels in hell, but he, he definitely says that. The, the, the hell fire, the, the, the flames of purgatory are going to be the same as the flames of hell, which is, is a harrowing and kind of scary thing to think of.
5: So essentially we're talking about our attachment to sin, our disordered attachment to, to this world, this life, our venial sins that we have committed, and because nothing unclean can enter into that beatific vision, as Revelation 21 would suggest. Isn't that the case?
4: Yeah, exactly. He has, he has one article about that. Exactly. What is purgatory cleansing? And he talks about, uh, the debt of punishment and the washing away of venial sin. It, it's kind of funny because Aquinas is such a, you know, a the- a theological, uh, precise guy. And he taught, he, he goes into pretty good depth about somebody who kind of falls asleep and they're in a state of grace and whether they might die with a little bit of attachment or you know, that what exactly is going to require them to be cleansed in purgatory. So it's pretty interesting what, what the just the, the fine detail that he goes into of who is actually going to need uh, to be cleansed. Now,
3: Dave, I haven't actually read this article on purgatory before. And does Thomas talk about where purgatory is in terms of like a location or its relation to because you mentioned the fires being the fires from hell? And I have heard that before. But in terms of its uh, place, do you, do we know that?
4: Well, yeah, he, he says twofold place. In one of them, he says proximity to hell. So, of course, that would raise the question, well, where is hell, right? Because he says proximity to hell, which seems to imply that it would be, you know, very close to hell or perhaps within the, the view of hell. Similar punishment. And then the other place is called the dispensation. Various places uh for those who are being prayed for and again i read through it one time last night and i'm like okay there seems to be different places different levels maybe even different types of punishment that are going on he does say in one of the articles that the the pains of purgatory are twofold there's the pain of loss because or you know you're there and as joe said you you know you're going to get to heaven but you're not there yet and he said that pain will be greater than any pain possibly suffered here on earth and so he he definitely doesn't make this sound like it's just you know you're sitting in the waiting room (laughs) you know (laughs) to get to heaven this is this is an excruciating and then the other one is the pain of sense uh which um is the corporeal fire and that's what he's talking about so there's kind of like a a spiritual pain and then a corporeal fire pain i guess that should uh motivate people to
3: do acts of penance on this earth and to uh Suffer now and offer indulgences for the souls in purgatory and for ourselves. Um, what uh, does St. Thomas uh, address the issue of? Uh, how do we minimize this uh, this exact this
4: experience for ourselves? That's a good question. I mean, he talks, like I said in that one article, about the dispensation where those who are being prayed for uh, on Earth by people on Earth uh, are, are are getting out. But as far as how one diminishes it himself. In another part in the Summa, he says that it's through charity and desire that one's level of heaven will be determined. So I would imagine that with the greater charity and the greater desire. And of course, I'm not sure about the suffering. I'm sure that plays a big part of it. And suffering, you know, as you mentioned, here on earth, for the the sake of God and for the salvation of souls would be a part of that as well. I'm not sure exactly where that that shows up in the Summa, though.
6: Now, Dave, I've run into people before that have said things like, well, uh, there's nothing in the Bible that says uh, anything about purgatory. It's not mentioned at all. And they they use this, you know, this word purgatory as we know it now. But uh, what in the scriptures can point to the reality of, of purgatory?
4: Well, yeah, you know, funny, Rudy, you say that because I mentioned that there were, were two appendices. You got appendice, appendix one and appendix two of the Summa. Only the only topic that's covered in that is purgatory. And it's in appendix two where Thomas says, is there such a thing as purgatory? And you would think that that would come in appendix one. So the ordering is really interesting. And uh, as far as I can tell, he doesn't quote scripture. I'll have to reread that and see if, in his description of why there is, in fact, purgatory, he doesn't quote scripture. But the one that I have oft- often heard, you know, through listening to Catholic radio and apologists, comes from uh, Maccabees, where the, they're they're praying, you know, pr- they're praying for the, the souls of those who have died, I believe, on the battlefield. And then I think St. Paul has a reference to the cleansing fire uh, of, and I'm not sure exactly what that is. You guys might know better than me, but those are the two scriptural references that I remember hearing of, just in, in listening to other apologists.
3: Yeah, I'm pulling up the uh, passage from the Summa, and he says, uh, On the contrary, it is said in Second Maccabees 1246, It is holy and, and wholesome thought to pray for the dead, that they may be loosed from sins. Now, there's no need to pray for the dead who are in heaven, for there are no need, nor again for those who are in hell, because they cannot be loosed from sins. Therefore, after this life, there are some not yet loosed from sins who can be loosed therefrom, and like have charity, which without which sin cannot be loosed. And so he's quoting there, he's saying that from making an inference from Second Maccabees, and then in his, I answer that, he says, uh, I from the conclusion we drew in previously, and it is sufficiently clear that there is a purgatory after this life, for if the debt of punishment is not paid in full, then they must be paid for later on. So the, the important point that Aquinas makes here is that it's a logical thing. It is a clear from Scripture, uh, making an inference, making a logical inference from what Scripture has stated, that it must be necessary. And that's usually what most people give as a response, saying nothing unclean can enter heaven. We are unclean. Therefore, there has to be something that makes us clean.
5: Here's the question, as we are just about a minute left with Dave Palmer from Host of Back to the Father. should we? Do we have to worry about our loved ones in purgatory?
4: I would think that we should have a holy sense of worry. I, I always wonder, you know, if you do like a plenary indulgence, which, of course, that's another thing that we should talk about, is right now it's the time of uh, plenary indulgences, visiting a, a a graveyard and praying for the intentions of the Pope. And uh, But I, I think I, I would say it's a good and holy thing to be concerned that uh, our, our loved ones could be in purgatory and in need of our prayers and do plenary indulgences for their sake, and I think that would help them a lot.
5: So Back to the Father comes on 1 p.m. Central, uh, 2 p.m. Eastern, isn't that right?
4: Yes, that's right. On all the social media sites, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, of Guadalupe Radio Network.
5: So just search for the handle at GRN online at 1 p.m. Central, 2 p.m. Eastern on YouTube or on Facebook. You'll be able to tune in live, ask questions, and interact live with Dave Palmer and his crew. God bless you, Dave. Thanks for being on with us again today.
4: Alright, thanks Joe, thanks
5: guys Make sure to tune in to Back to the Father 1pm Central today Check that out, it's time to play our game show Fear and Trembling, we are going to learn stuff You're going to laugh, you're going to have a good time And you may win prizes if you call right now 877-757-9424 That phone line is open Ready for your call right now At 877-757-9424 Game show's coming up next 877-757-9424
2: In 1 Timothy, it says that Jesus is our sole mediator, yet we pray to Mary and the saints. Is that going against the Bible?
9: 1 Timothy 2, verse 5 says, There is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. By praying to the saints, we're accused of going against the Bible because it seems we are making the saints mediators between God and man, not just Jesus. In the Old Testament, we see that Moses, Abraham, and Job interceded on behalf of others. That's mediating between God and man. Plus, we know that it is okay to ask others here on earth to pray and intercede for us. That's mediating between God and man. So once again, we have a situation where a passage of the Bible is being misinterpreted and misunderstood. There is only one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ but as members of the body of Christ he allows us to share in his mediation. Scripture says that we have only one foundation, Jesus Christ, 1 Corinthians 3.11. But Scripture says that there is more than one foundation, Ephesians 2 19 and 20. Scripture says that we have only one Lord, Jesus Christ, Ephesians 4 verses 4 and 5. But Scripture says there is more than one Lord, Revelations 19.16. Scripture says that we have only one judge, Jesus Christ James 4 verse 12. But Scripture tells us there is more than one judge, 1 Corinthians 6 verse 2. Contradict in Scripture? No, not when these passages are read in context. Jesus is the only foundation, Jesus is the only Lord, and Jesus is the only judge, but we are members of Jesus' body. Therefore we are able, according to the graces given by Christ, to share in Jesus' role as foundation, as Lord, and as judge, and in other aspects of Christ as well. Another example, as a father, I share in God's role as the Father by His grace. And so also the saints in heaven can and do share in Christ's role as mediator
0: a beacon of truth in a troubled world this is the guadalupe radio network radio for your soul
7: welcome to another round of fear and trembling the Catholic trivia game show that helps you work out your salvation by the seat of your pants. It's a 50-50 chance, and prizes are involved. Avoid the weeping and gnashing of teeth. Call now to take your shot, 877-757-9424. And now, your
5: host,
4: Joe McClain. Praise
5: be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. And fear and trembling a Catholic trivia game show with secrets and agendas. But what I need now is a guest, a caller, to play our game. The last chance to get on this week's price pack is right now. Phone lines are open, 877-757-9424. If you'd like to play our game, have a good time, learn something new, and possibly win, call right now, 877-757-9424. Adrian Fonseca, standing by to take your call. At 877-757-9424. That phone number, one more time, is 877-757-9424. First caller gets to play the game. There are, as I say, a few things we like to do. On the down low, the QT, all right, so keep it between us. But number one, we like to teach the faith. So we look for teachable moments in the questions where you might subtly, you know, very subtly learn something about the Catholic faith that you didn't know before. Sometimes not so subtly. And then, of course, we like to have a laugh. We like to have a chuckle. We like to have a good time. And our callers are amazing. They laugh with us. We enjoy that most. And then we give out prizes, which means this is a winner for everybody involved. You could learn, laugh, and win. It's that simple. Everybody gets something out of the deal. But here's the kicker. The catch to the whole thing is that we will not be asking these questions to the caller. They don't even need to know. They may not know a single correct answer, but could still win the game because instead of asking them, I shall ask Rudy, I shall ask Adrian, one of which will be correct, the other will be incorrect. The caller will then have 15 seconds to make a decision Whomst do they trust more, Rudy or Adrian? And then, if they get that right, well, then it goes into the coffee cup of divine providence to win this week's prize. Rudy, what could they win?
6: Praise be to God. This week, we are giving away an Every Sacred Sunday uh, hardbound journal. Now, uh, you might be wondering, what exactly is Every Sacred Sunday? Well, this company puts together journals, beautiful, beautiful journals. This one is a cloth bound, hardbound journal. And it's uh, it's uh, a way for you to look at the scriptures every single Sunday and take notes on all those holy inspirations that you may get from the homily, from the scriptures, from the mass itself. And this week we're giving this away thanks to Gloria Lopez, who's one of our dear listeners, and she's generously offered this journal
5: to give away today. Thanks be to God. Thank all you, Gloria. Right. Yeah. Praise be to God. Thank you, Gloria. We're very, very grateful to you. I did get the pen from your husband, by the way. Just still a glory, just so you know. Got the pen. And, yeah, I don't have to eat crowns now. Let's go to the phones. Vera, good morning to you.
11: How are we doing, sir?
5: Oh, is this Aaron? Yes, sir. Well, good morning, Aaron. Praise be to God. How are you? All right, sir. Well, uh, where are you calling from, Aaron? Pearsall. Pearsall. Now, where's Pearsall? Pearsall? Is this outside San Antonio?
2: Uh, about three miles south, sir. Oh, that's
5: not far. Pretty. Far. Where do you go to church, Aaron?
8: Uh, the Immaculate Heart of Mary.
5: Ooh, very, very nice. Now, good name. Aaron, are you familiar with the rules of the game? Do you know how this this
11: all works? Uh, not really, sir. But I was listening to okay. Okay. what the way it was going on the mm-hmm. radio. So yeah.
5: So, right, Here's the deal. This is between me and you, because to be honest with you, Aaron, I'm the only person you can trust in this team. Don't, don't. Okay. <laughs> Don't so believe him. it's me and you, buddy. I against, can't be trusted against these other two guys. I'm going to ask the question to Rudy and Adrian. One of those guys is going to give you the right answer. The other one's going to give you an incorrect answer, and you'll just you're going to have 15 seconds, Aaron, to make a decision. Who do you think you trust more, Rudy or or Adrian? Now I'll let you know this too ahead of time because I'm your friend in this. Rudy is not wearing a tie today. <laughs> no tie. I mean. <laughs> Uh, you gotta, you gotta consider that when you're making your decision. That's all I'm saying. Uh, are you ready to go, Aaron? Let's go. That's how right. I like that. Praise be to God. Let's go. Isn't that like, uh, isn't it the the Houston Astros chant? Let's go. Or is it H now? Hold it, I forget. Anyway. Let's
6: go, Astros. <laughs> Let's go.
5: All right, Rudy. Are you ready? I'm ready. I think so. Yeah. It I'm is ready. our church-approved tradition, uh, patrimony, to start with you first. And, Is there uh, an imprimatur on that? Even though you do not have a tie, we are going to do that anyway. Are you, You're ready to go, you said. I am ready. Okay. Doctor's orders, by the way, no tie. Oh, really? The yeah. doctor suggested this. He said that, yeah. Fascinating. Is um, that the doctor's in? <laughs> Rudy, can you tell me which women in sacred scripture did Jesus cure, or let me start over, which woman uh, did Jesus cure of seven demons? Which woman in Scripture?
6: Well, that would be Mary Magdalene.
5: Mary Magdalene, you say? Yep. Okay. Mary Magdalene was Seems possessed. Reasonable. Seems reasonable. She was wrecked by but, demons. Let's see uh, what Adrian says. Now, Adrian has advanced degrees, according to Twitter, in uh, in being possessed. So let's just see what he says here. Adrian, can you tell me which woman in Sacred
3: Scripture did Jesus cure of seven demons? Uh, yes, I'm sorry to break this to you, Joe, but mm-hmm. you've been misinformed. What? I don't actually have a PhD in being possessed by demons, but you I do don't? have a PhD in the number seven. I see. Um, oh, my I'm mistake. an expert on seven. May I? So, yeah, it's okay. I, I forgive you. Okay. But the person you're looking for mm-hmm. is uh, Anne, blessed Anne. Really? Mm-hmm. Blessed Anne, mm-hmm. the mother of our of our Lady. Mind blown. I know. Mind blown. I know. Okay. Often mis-, mis-, mis mislooked at. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Interesting. All it's right. in a
5: Luke chapter 1. All right, Aaron. You've got options here. Which woman in sacred scripture did Jesus cure of seven demons? Adrian says it's Blessed Anne, whereas Rudy says it's Mary Magdalene. 15 seconds on the clock. Who is right? Who is wrong? Aaron in Pearsall, Texas, what say you? Uh, it was Anne. Go, well, I'm sorry. <laughs> <other laughs>
0: right.
5: so <laughs> oh, wow. uh, it was a curveball to the low right corner. Swing and a miss. I'm sorry, Aaron. Blessed Anne
3: is not in scripture. For...
5: Yeah, in fact, it's uh, Mary Magdalene is the correct answer. Mary Magdalene. Um, but wait, we learned something, Aaron. Don't stress. We got you in the cup on this next question. I, I'm sure <laughs> of it. I'm sure of it. Let's go with Adrian on this. Adrian. Hey. Adrian, that's my name. Now, this definitely is a topic I know you are an expert in. Oh. I, I'm. I, didn't I read somewhere that you, you did a whole lecture tour? Oh, in uh, in New Zealand on this, I can't oh, remember. Wow. but uh, maybe you could help out here. It says the ethical system that places
3: pleasure as the highest of all goods mm-hmm. is called what, sir? Well, yes, I actually did do a lecture tour, but it wasn't in New Zealand. It was actually in Middle Earth. Oh, I um, see. Yeah, I, I see. get why you would get those confused. Yeah, it's confusing. very common. People confuse those kind of things. Yeah. But no, it was on Kantism. I'm sorry, because I'm tight. It um, was on was it? Kantism. Kantism? Yep. And oh, I was wow. like, I, I, at first when they asked me to okay. do it, I was like, I just can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <clears throat>
5: sorry. little morning cough there. Okay, you said uh, Kant. Kant is Kant-ism. Kant-ism. Kantism. I got it. Okay. Rudy, maybe you could help out with this one. Mm. Could you tell me the ethical system that places pleasure as the highest of all goods is called what, sir? Yes,
6: pleasure. Highest of all goods. We call ourselves hedonists.
5: We love pleasure. It's fantastic. What? I need to go back on vacation, apparently. <laughs> All right, Aaron, you got options here. This ethical system where pleasure is, like, premier in someone's life, is that hedonism, as Rudy suggests, hedonism, or is it Kantianism, as Adrian seems to think? 15 seconds on the clock. Who's right? Who's uh, wrong? I'm going to go with Adrian this time. No, go the other one. Go the other one. Go Rudy. Go Rudy. I'm right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry, Aaron. Aaron. Aaron! Aaron! Aaron, we're going to get you... This is last one. I guarantee, this one for sure, we're going to get this done. In fact, hedonism was the correct answer. is oh, wow. Kant was a philosopher, a bad one at that. Yeah, true. <laughs> okay, here we go. Third question. Back to Rudy. Rudy, can you help? In what city... Is the true crown of thorns preserved and saved from the flames of fire? What was that, three Mm. years, four years ago? Yes,
6: after the great Kansas City fire. Kansas City. Kansas City. Your
5: answer is Kansas City. 100%. For the crown of thorns that our Lord wore on the cross in Calvary in Jerusalem. Your answer is Kansas City. Of all the places, it's right there, Kansas City. Am I supposed to believe it or not? I don't know. Okay. Let's ask Ripley. Okay, so Kansas, you're on the board for Kansas, Kansas. right here, Kansas City. All right, uh, Adrian, can you help? In what city is the true Crown of Thorns preserved, sir?
3: Yes, that would be Paris. Paris, Paris, which was where France. Notre Dame Cathedral burned down, and they rescued the Crown of Thorns. I don't remember. The priest ran. I don't ran know if y'all remember that and story. Grabbed it. Yeah. Right? He, he was a fraternity priest, if I remember correctly. Was he? Yeah, an FSSP priest. What? Yeah. Mind blown. Okay.
5: Aaron, was it Paris, France, as Adrian says? Or was it Kansas City, Kansas, as Rudy is trying Missouri. to make us believe? Oh, I'm sorry. Missouri. Kansas City, Missouri. I'm going to go with Paris. Paris. I Survey set. Oh,
1: Aaron for the win!
5: Praise be Aaron. You got it right, Paris, France. Congratulations, Aaron. You're in for one. You could still win. It's happened many times in the past. You never know. So I'm uh, shuffling it Rudy's right pulling now. Let's see here. I got it right here. It is.
6: Tune in tomorrow to find
5: out.
1: No, it's Tanya Meyer.
5: Tanya, congratulations, Tanya. Aaron, it was not God's holy will that you should uh, win today, but nonetheless, we had fun with you. God bless you, Aaron. Thanks for calling in today. Thank you. Have a great day, wherever you're going. We're going to be praying for you, Aaron, and your family. And uh, call again in about a month from now. We'd love to play again. Hey, that's going to do it for the radio side of our show today. Thank you all for tuning in and listening. We had fun and great interviews with our guests. And we want to continue that conversation. I have a question for you. Maybe you can join us in the after show. If you went to Mexico to visit Our Lady Guadalupe, would you visit one of those pagan temples that are there still from the Aztec Empire? Why or why not? Let us know in the after show. Go to grnonline.com forward slash cdt. God bless you. God love you. We'll see you on Monday.
1: Thank you for joining us on Your Catholic Drive Time
4: Guadalupe Radio Network now brings you the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass from the Chapel at Our Lady of Corpus Christi in Corpus Christi, Texas.
12: Welcome to the Holy Mass at Our Lady of Corpus Christi Chapel. Today we celebrate the Memorial of St. Charles Borromeo. The intention of today's Mass is for all of our online viewers and for those joining us through Guadalupe Radio. I will look after my sheep, says the Lord, and I will appoint a shepherd to pasture them, and I, the Lord, will be their God. Glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and will be forever. Amen. I will look after my sheep, says the Lord, and I will appoint a shepherd to pasture them, And I, the Lord, will be their God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, the Lord be with you. Today we celebrate the memorial of St. Charles Borromeo. He lived in the 1500s, grew up in northern Italy in a noble family. At age 12, he entered the clerical state. At age 21, he completed a doctorate in canon law and civil law and then was chosen by his uncle, the newly elected Pope, to help him in Rome. There he organized the final session of the Council of Trent, was also instrumental in writing the new Roman Catechism, and revising the Missal and the Breviary. He was made Archbishop of Milan, and there he carried out energetically the reforms of the Council of Trent, including reforms in worship, reforms of the clergy, including starting seminaries and other ways of forming priests, and reforms in religious formation, including... Encouraging the newly formed uh, Confraternity of Christian Doctrine, CCD. He died on November 3rd, in 1584. Brethren, let us acknowledge our sins and so prepare ourselves to celebrate the sacred mysteries. You were sent to heal the contrite of heart. Lord, have mercy. You came to call sinners. Christ, have mercy. You are seated at the right hand of the Father to intercede for us. Lord, have mercy. mercy. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Let us pray. Preserve in the midst of your people, we ask, O Lord, the spirit with which you filled the Bishop St. Charles Borromeo, that your church may be constantly renewed, and by conforming herself to the likeness of Christ, may show his face to the world, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God forever and ever.
11: Reading from the letter of St. Paul to the Philippians. Join with others in being imitators of me, brothers and sisters, and observe those who thus conduct themselves according to the model you have in us. For many, as I have often told you, and now tell you even in tears, conduct themselves as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. Their minds are occupied with earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we also await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will change our lowly body to conform with his glorified body by the power that enables him also to bring all things into subjection to himself. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, in this way stand firm in the Lord, beloved. The word of the, to Let us go to the house of the Lord. Let us go rejoicing to the house of the Lord. I rejoiced because they said to me, We will go up to the house of the Lord. And now we have set foot within your gates, O Jerusalem. Let, Let us go, go rejoicing to the house of the Lord. Jerusalem, built as a city, with compact unity. To it the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord. Let us go rejoicing to the house of the Lord. According to the decree for Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. In it are set up judgment seats, seats for the house of David. Let us go rejoicing to the house of the Lord.
12: Alleluia, 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 Whoever keeps the word of Christ, the love of God is truly perfected in him. Alleluia, alleluia. the Lord be with you a reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke Jesus said to his disciples a rich man had a steward who was reported to him for squandering his property he summoned him and said what is this I hear about you prepare a full account of your stewardship because you can no longer be my steward The steward said to himself, What shall I do, now that my master is taking the position of steward away from me? I am not strong enough to dig, and I am ashamed to beg. I know what I shall do, so that when I am removed from the stewardship, they may welcome me into their homes. He called in his master's debtors, one by one. To the first he said, How much do you owe my master? He replied, One hundred measures of olive oil. He said to him, here is your promissory note. Sit down and quickly write one for fifteen. Then to another he said, And you, how much do you owe? He replied, One hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, Here is your promissory note. Write one for eighty. And the master commended that dishonest steward for acting prudently. For the children of this world are more prudent in dealing with their own generation than the children of light. The Gospel of the Lord. When I was in seminary, in my third church history class, we were hearing about the Renaissance popes of the 1400s and 1500s. And I can tell you it was not a fun experience. Because we kept hearing these stories. Rich, wealthy, powerful Italian families and popes who came from them. And the popes were more interested in acting like Renaissance princes, putting on armor and leading their armies into battle, and being patrons of the arts, and giving their relatives good positions in the church. And it just kept on going, it seemed, as we heard Pope after Pope. Then we heard about a particular Pope, and he came from the Medici family. It's like, okay, what else is new? And then we heard he immediately appointed his 21-year-old nephew as cardinal. I'm like, yep, here we go again and the name of that nephew was Charles Borromeo. I'm like, oh, wait a second. I've heard of him. He's a saint. He's a good guy. It seems that the Lord wrote straight with crooked lines in this particular case. Now, it's interesting when we look at St. Charles Borromeo, one of the things that happened while he was there in Rome, just a few years after he was brought there, in the midst of the Council of Trent, his older brother died. And... This caused two changes. One, in the case of his family, his family then wanted him to leave the clerical state that he had been in since he was 12. He was 24 at this point. And to, to then get married, have kids, and carry on the family name. That's what his family wanted after his brother unexpectedly died. But for Charles, this Charles-born the saint, he, this was one of the factors that brought him to conversion because of his brother's unexpected death. And this was in, along with some other factors in his life. His friendship with some good religious priests, and also um, his uh, friendship with a particular bishop from Portugal. And all of this was making a change in his heart. And he said, no, you know, actually what this means is that I need to focus on spiritual things, and living for Christ in this world. And so that brought him to resolve to become a priest instead. Because he was in the cardinal seat, but he actually had actually not been a priest all this time and so he was ordained a priest at 25. He actually thought about going to the monastery, but this bishop friend of his said, no, I think God wants you to stay in the world. And so all these years, he had been administrator of the Archdiocese of Milan, but he accepted becoming bishop of the the Archdiocese of Milan. And then he did, did something unexpected. Well, the Council of Trent was encouraging it, which was for bishops to actually live in their diocese. The Archdiocese of Milan, for 80 years, none of their bishops had actually lived in their diocese. So as soon as he could, he went back to Milan, and began to reform and to lead them. Because he had decided, as we hear from the Gospel reading, to be prudent and he use the limited time, the limited resources that he had in this world to prepare himself for the world to come. And he brought about this conversion in his life. And so he may bring about a conversion in our lives. As we this month of November, we think about the last things. Heaven, hell, purgatory, um, uh, death, sorry, the first one to, we think about, you know, how are we living our lives? And we see that in St. Charles Borromeo's life, this brought about conversion. Now, in our first reading from St. Paul, we're coming towards the end of his letter to the Philippians, and we heard something that might have had some of us shouting with joy, because we heard him say, you know, there are many who conduct themselves as enemies of the cross of Christ, their end is destruction. Their god is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. But our citizenship is in heaven. I wonder how many of us were saying, "Preach it, brother Paul. Preach it. That's the way it is. That's the truth." But here's the thing. He knows what he said earlier. He said, "Join with others in being imitators of me." Now that should make us tremble. To think it is very easy to say, "Do what I say, not what I do." Right? You know, hopefully we're saying what's true, but sometimes we're not living it. St. Paul is saying, imitate me. In the Corinthians, he says something similar. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Wow. Can you and I say as confidently, not just say what, do, what, do what I say, but do what I do. I am faithfully imitating Christ, so do what I do, and you will be on the right path. That's a tougher, tougher standard. St. Charles Borromeo also lived that out. He lived that out by living a very austere life. He did not seek to live all the riches that were at his disposal as Archbishop there in Milan. But he lived a very prayerful, very austere life. He took on penances upon himself. And in addition to everything else we heard that he did in reforming the diocese, also there came about, when he was about 38, a time of plague and famine. Many of the leaders, including the governor, left the place to save themselves from the plague. But St. Charles Borromeo put himself into action. He went and visited the plague victims. He used his own personal wealth, even went into death, to feed 70,000 people every day. He worked extensively. He put, his, his, he put himself where he, where he had been speaking about. He did not just talk the talk. He walked the walk. And so may you and I, brothers and sisters, be. May we be imitators of Christ, so faithfully that we could say to others, be imitators of me. And in this way, perhaps, as people see our joy, our peace, our love and compassion, then they will be drawn to leave behind being enemies of the cross of Christ. But instead we'll be drawn to Christ through our example, just as others were through the saints that we remember today. Now let us pray to the Lord for one another. That as Christians we may make our faith manifest through our conduct, let us pray to the Lord. That all who do not know God may be illuminated through the Gospel, let us pray to the Lord. That all who are tortured and despised may come to be freed from their sufferings, let us pray to the Lord that we may always live in the grace of the Lord. Let us pray to the Lord. That the example of holiness with which the Bishop St. Charles Borromeo illuminated the Church may also give light to all who celebrate his memorial today. Let us pray to the Lord. Holy Father, we ask that you hear our prayer and grant that your aid may come to all those for whom we have prayed
11: through Christ our Lord. Thank you.
12: Brethren, that my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable to God the Almighty Father. Look, O Lord, upon the offering placed on your altar in commemoration of St. Charles, and grant by the power of this sacrifice that as you made him an attentive pastor, outstanding in the merit of his virtues, so you may make us abound in good fruit by our works through christ our lord the lord be with you lift up your hearts let us give thanks to the lord our god it is truly right and just our duty and our salvation always and everywhere to give you thanks Lord, Holy Father, almighty and eternal God, through who Christ our Lord. For as on the festival of St. Charles Borromeo, you bid your church rejoice, so too you strengthen her by the example of his holy life, teach her by his words of preaching, and keep her safe in answer to his prayers. And so with the company of angels and saints, we sing the hymn of your praise as without end we acclaim Sanctus, Sanctus, Sanctus Dominus Degus Sabae Plenis sunt Terra Gloria Tua O in Chelsis, Benedictus qui venit in nomine domini hosanna in sigis You are indeed holy, O Lord, the fount of all holiness. Make holy, therefore, these gifts, we pray, by sending down your Spirit upon them like the dewfall, so that they may become for us the body and blood and graciously grant her peace and unity in accordance with your will, who live and reign forever and ever. The peace of the Lord be with you always. Let us offer each other the sign of peace. On Ponyus qui tollis peccata mundi, miserere nobis, Anjus degegi, quit holis peccata mundi, misere no hobis. Anjus degegi, quit holis peccata mundi, dona nobis paaje. It was not you who chose me, says the Lord, but I who chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last.
11: An Act of Spiritual Communion My Jesus, I believe that you are present in the most holy sacrament. I love you above all things, and I desire to receive you into my soul, since I cannot at this moment receive you sacramentally
12: was not you who chose me says the Lord but I who chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit fruit that will last glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning is now and will be forever amen it was not you who chose me says the Lord but I who chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Let us pray. May the sacred mysteries of which we have partaken, O Lord, we pray, Give us that determination which made St. Charles faithful in ministry and fervent in charity through Christ our Lord. Amen. The Lord be with you. you. Now mighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Go in peace, glorifying the Lord by your life. You. Salve Regina. Mother, misericordiae, vita dulce do, et spes nostra salve. Ad te clamamus, exules filii eve, ad te suspiramus, gementes et flentes, in hac lacrimarum vale. E a-
10: thy peace always in the name of christ our lord amen
0: spreading the splendor of truth this is the guadalupe radio network radio for your soul
2: This is KSHJAM 1430 Houston, part of the Guadalupe Radio Network. We are 100% listener supported. And do you know what that means? This is your radio station. Thank you so much for your generous support.